Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. <laughs> My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here. And we're going to continue our Bible study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians, we'll be spending our time in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find one underneath the seat close to you. And you can turn to 1 Corinthians there. And we will put the words on the screen too, so you'll be able to, to follow along there. I want to just remind us of kind of how far we've come in our study of 1 Corinthians by just telling us a couple things to help us uh, kind of get started uh, here. Uh, number one, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is in fact a letter. It's an epistle. It's a letter written by a man named Paul. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the city called Corinth. So it's a letter to the Corinthian Christians. And one of the things that he's addressing in this letter is they, they are not acting as spiritual people is the language that he'll use. And, and by saying that spiritual people, what I mean by this is since they've become Christians, God has placed his spirit inside of them. And yet they don't seem to be living in such a way that people could tell that the Spirit of God is inside of them. In fact, there have been words that have made their way to the Apostle Paul, who's now traveled on somewhere else um, in the world, and, and he's catching word from other people that the Corinthians are just acting crazy. Like there's nutty stuff going on. And one of the things that he notices in all of this is they're just not unified. That there's strife and divisions amongst them. Jealousies are taking place in the church. He, he points to a reason in that today that I think would be helpful for us to understand. But let me just confess something to you. Since I've been a Christian, right, 20-some years now, I've always struggled with those passages in the Bible when it said that they were all gathered together, like in uh, second chapter of Acts, if you know the second chapter of Acts story, where it says they're all gathered together in an upper room, and they're all together in one accord or with one mind. I don't know if that's even possible in our day and age right now. Can you agree with me? I mean, is it possible that we could get more than five people in a room to agree on anything? No. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> it's challenging. Here's, here's the crazy thing. Not that we, we sort of wave our political flags around here, but you wouldn't be surprised to know that there are very conservative people in this church, right? Vote very conservatively. Everyone's like, easy there, bro, right? <laughs> And it would surprise you that there are also very progressive people or what we would call liberal people in this place here, right? So when I look at those passages in the Bible and I think to myself, well, how did they come together in one mind? Well, I think I know now. It's because they weren't waving any other flag than one, which is Jesus. See, there are many things that separate us in this world and, and oftentimes the culture around us likes to use those things to divide us. Just watch the pundits on your favorite cable news network. Right? But there are things that can unite us together. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. And what Paul is noticing is they're not uniting under Jesus. 
They're forming schisms, factions, all kinds of things. And because of that, they're revealing to Paul and the rest of the world how broken and immature they are. So let me just say this. As I prayed this morning for us, I prayed for that, that we would come together in unity uh, uh, underneath Jesus. Can we agree on that? Yes, we can agree on that. We can all grow into the things that God would have for us in Jesus as we are all spiritual people, if we're believers here, filled with the spirit of God that he might grow us and mature us. But I'm, tell, I'm gonna tell you this, and this is what Paul's going to address here. This stuff does not happen automatically. You have to understand that there is a beginning place in our lives. It's the born again experience. We'll get to that in a minute. And we have to mature from that place. As Paul looks into the church in Corinth, it's not unlike me looking into the church at Renaissance. There are different levels of maturity all around here. And we're hoping that we can at least grow and mature in the things of God. Yes? All right, so that's being said, I want to read this entire chapter of chapter three. Uh, I'll pick apart a few verses in that, and then we'll hopefully learn something today. So the words will be up on the screen for you, starting in verse one. But I, Paul, he says, writing to you, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual people or people of the spirit, but I had to address you as people of the flesh, as infants, he says, in Christ. I led you with milk, or sorry, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not even ready for it. And even now, he criticizes them, you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of, and among you? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? For when one says, oh, I follow Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos, are you not just being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, he says, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul watered, or Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and then he says these words, and I want you to hear this. He says, you are God's field. Writing to the, the Christians in Corinth, and I wanna say that to you here. You are God's field. You are God's building. And Paul uses these two metaphors of, of agriculture and uh, um, building stuff, whatever that's called, construction, thank you. Uh, anyways, and he says, and according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Now let each one of you take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day of the Lord will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, then he or she will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he or she will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. Hang on, almost done. 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. Stop lying to yourself, he says. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, it is written, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, right? Don't boast in Paul, don't boast in Apollos, don't boast in anyone else. For all things are yours, he said, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or of life, or death, or the present, or the future, everything is yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. There's a lot in there. Amen. Thank you for that. That's a lot. Uh, Let's pray together so that we can at least learn maybe a thing today. Maybe two things if we're we're, uh, lucky. So God, we thank you for um, our time together, that we can gather, that we can be in one mind or one accord, that your spirit has laid aside every difference that we might have that's outside of Christ, and we can come together to worship Jesus to serve each other, to declare the goodness of uh, who you are, God. We pray our time together would be fruitful, that we would increase in knowledge and understanding, that we would not puff ourselves up, but rather uh, settle ourselves beneath your lordship, and that we would follow you all the days of our lives. God, you truly have saved us, even from ourselves, and for that we are grateful. God, let us spend this time worshiping you and thanking you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The big issue that Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church in the first few chapters is this issue of immaturity. That they they are infants, and we should all expect born-again Christians to act like infants. In fact, that's truly the language that we use in the Bible. It, when it talks about when a person becomes a Christian, they are born again. Has anybody heard that? And it just means this, that we've left basically our old lives behind. Everything that we desired and wanted in our own life, we've now set that aside, become Christians by faith in Jesus, and now we've been born again as a new creature to follow now God's desires, God's plans, God's pursuits for our lives. And in so doing, it's as if we've started all over. One of the most hope-filled sentences that anyone could ever say is that God is a God of second chances, yes? (laughs) Am I in the wrong church? God is a God of second chances. I became a Christian when I was 26 years old. I pray desperately that my children do not have to wait that long. My life is filled with a wake of debauchery and cruelty and wickedness to people that were close to me that I desperately pray God does not have for them in their life. I pray they become born-again Christians. And like many of us, when they're born again, they will be like infants. And there will be some things that they can understand. But they cannot understand the big things. When Paul comes to them in Corinth, he preaches one thing. He calls it milk. This is the milk that all of us need to understand as Christians. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's come to die for your sins. And God raised him from the dead. He's ascended back to heaven. He's given us his spirit. That is the foundation of our belief. That's the milk that he gives them. But there are 
there's so much more for the Corinthian Christians to understand, as is for us. There's so much more. What does it mean to walk in faith? What does it mean to walk in power? What does it mean that the spirit of God is with me? That I can pray for people, that they would be healed? Yes, all of those things, but I'm telling you, those things come from a level of maturity that are not available to infants. You must grow in these things. He wants us to grow in these things. But Paul he can't speak to them as spiritual people, as mature people, because they're acting infantile. And how does he know they're acting infantile? Exhibit A, because there's jealousy and strife among you. Because you're arguing with one another as to who follows who. Well, I follow Paul. I'm an original church member, right? I go to this church or that church. Well, I follow Apollos. He's a much better preacher than Paul. Or I follow Peter and on and on it goes. There's this division and strife and all of those things are just a result of not a spiritual life, but of a worldly life. In fact, Paul writes to another group of people in Galatia, and I don't have these words for you on the screen, but in Galatians chapter five, Paul gives us some understanding of what worldly or fleshly living looks like. He says that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Do you know that? That if you're, if you're serving the needs and desires of your flesh, hear me, you are not serving the desires of the spirit that is inside of you. You cannot do both. They are mutually exclusive to one another. And Paul says that the flesh is against the things of the spirit. And here's a, a list, a laundry list, we'll call it the junk drawer of, of worldly desires. This is what it looks like. The works of the flesh are evident in these things. Sexual immorality. Don't raise your hand, by the way, I forgot to say that. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, sexual. <laughs> yes, we're not raising hands right now. There will be a moment, not right now. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, there it is, fits of anger. Not like you're frustrated because the guy doesn't know how to turn on his turn signal. Because that's, that's still holy thinking is what I'm... No. <laughs> Fits of anger. If you're one of them, you know who you are. Can I just tell you, that's not the spirit inside of you. That's, that's the, the fleshy part of you trying to get its own way and the people around you are like, knock it off already. These are things that if we see them in our lives, they are evidence to us that we are not living as mature Christians. Now, hear me, these, these aren't accidental things. I mean, every once in a while we get frustrated. Everyone's been to Walmart. Everyone's you know, done something where you get frustrated. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about if you're prone to fits of rage, if you're prone to sensuality, if you're prone to sexual immorality, if you're prone to the, like if you're known for those things, you're not living a spiritual life. I don't care what bumper sticker you have on your car. I don't, you know what I mean? This is what Paul is driving towards. Now he wants us to mature. He wants us to grow up. But until we address some of these things, we'll never, ever get there. He says, because of this, there's jealousy and strife among you. You're still acting, verse 3, as people of the flesh. You're behaving only in a human way. Now, hear me. You have to understand this. He wants to address them as spiritual people. And why is that? Because they do, in fact, have the spirit inside of them. 
See, when we become believers, we become Christians, God places inside of us his spirit. It's the down payment, if you will, of our future eternity with God forever. It's the seal of our salvation is what the Bible calls it. He's not saying you're Christians and you don't have the spirit. He's not saying that at all. He says you're Christians, you have the spirit, and here's the disturbing part, you're just not acting like it. That's the issue. There's a surrender that has to take place in your life. You're just unwilling to let it go. In the list of works of the flesh that Paul lists in Galatians 5, one of them stuck out to me. It's idolatry. Um, it's not a word we use a lot these days, is it? I'm an idolater. Say it with me now. I'm an idolater. Right? We should, it just doesn't roll off the tongue like we want. If I could confess something to you, and, and yet when I read that, only one word stuck out on the page to me. And it was, Jeff, you're an idolater. So can I confess some things to you? Yay. <laughs> I had a... Um, Do I share? Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, I had a dream the other day. Now, I don't have dreams a lot. Does anybody dream a lot? Most of them are just because of spicy food or bad movies or something. <laughs> but this one was unique to me. This one um, arrested me when I woke up. So I had this dream. I'm in a room with a bunch of people, and there's a lot of us uh, with, uh, we're doing things. We're working on something. There's a lot of people. Now, mind you, we've been doing a lot of building projects in our new sanctuary space up there, so it's quite possible that's what I'm thinking of. There's a bunch of people with a bunch of tools, and we're all gathered around together. But slowly, one by one by one, the people around me gather up all of their tools, put them in their bags, and then begin to leave. And so what was 10 people then becomes eight and then becomes six and then it becomes only two or three. And then it becomes time for me to put all of my tools in a bag and leave. And I said, no, I don't want to go. Okay, and you're like, whatever, that's a weird dream. Here's what I sensed when I woke up in the morning. This building project, if I could just tell you, has almost consumed every waking thought that I have. In fact, if I could confess and be very honest with you, I think of it more than Jesus some days. That, my friends, is what's called idolatry. In fact, there's a, a line in a song that I love to sing. It says, anything you think about all the time is an idol to you. Young people, if you're thinking of someone else that's not Jesus more than Jesus, right? That's an idol to you. Anyone who's thinking about anything else other than Jesus is an idol. When I woke up from this dream, it became apparent to me that I've created an idol in my life that is called this church. And when it was time for me to leave, I was, I was mourning that. I didn't want to go. In fact, I was willing to tell whoever was coming to pick me up, Jesus is, is who it was in my dream. And when he was coming to pick me up, I said no to him. I won't leave. Now hear that. You see how gross that is? Here's an opportunity to go with the Lord and wherever he wants to take me next. But I said, no, I'm staying here because this thing is the most important thing to me. Is this connecting with anyone? Should I move on? I'll move on. That's fine. And you start praying for me now. It'd be great. So, but that's a real thing to me. So he's like, Jeff, there's an idol in your life, right? Now here's where I rejoice because I go, thank you, God, for showing me. Here, here's a God who loves us enough to go, there's something that's gross. How about you not do that anymore? There's something that's not of the spirit. How about we don't do that anymore? That's why these lists that Paul gives us are so helpful. 
That's why this letter to the Corinthian church is so helpful because he says, you know what? You can say whatever you want about your wisdom that you're chasing after. You can say all, all you want about being spiritual people, right? But there's jealousy in you. There's strife among you. And I don't care what label you put on it. You are infants. God wants us to grow up. He desires for us to grow up. And can I go one step further? And I didn't share this with the other service, but I'll share it with you guys because you're better than them. Let's just say. <laughs> the, the, the milk that Paul brings to them, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't have time to go into all of that. But that, that foundational work that he's given to us is not just necessary for our salvation, but it's necessary for our sanctification. And by sanctification, I just mean this, the maturing and the transitioning from Jeff as a human fleshy person to Jeff as the follower and servant of Jesus Christ. As God transforms my life into something spiritual and new, I don't do it any other way but through Christ and him crucified. What I'm saying is this, I don't become a Christian because of the cross and then work out all of my sanctification in my own labors, in my own stress, my own work. I still sanctify myself or get sanctified through the work that Jesus is doing. The maturity comes through Christ. You know what our role in all of it is? It's to just say yes to him when he says, let's go a different direction. That's all it is. What's the secret to Christian living? <laughs> Just saying yes to God. The spirit inside of you, this is so great. When you become a Christian, this is what I learned when I was uh, a young Christian. And in my 20s, I lived a completely different life than, well, anyways. I'm just saying, I remember a day when I was wanting to do something that I had always done before, and almost like this inner voice inside of me said, Jeff, I don't want you to do that today. Has anybody experienced that before? I, uh, a worship pastor that I used to love and li listen to years ago shared a story one time when he was driving to church to lead worship. This is so great. This is, this is a behind-the-curtain look of what it looks like to do ministry, just so you know. So he's driving on, on the way to lead worship at church having a fight with his wife in the car. <laughs> right? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> Side note, this is why my wife and I don't ride together. <laughs> No, 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 listen. So he's driving to church, having a, an argument with his wife, and he hears the voice of the Lord say, uh, how do you like yelling at my daughter? And he went, I'm sorry? Like, and it's like, it was just second nature to him. She's my wife, I can take out my frustration on her, I can be angry with her, and the Lord's like, no. She's my daughter, and you knock it off. Okay, that's what spiritual living looks like is when God gives you another answer to the problem or another solution or another path or another way and you say yes to that instead of the old way. And unfortunately, the Christians in Corinth weren't doing so. They built a foundation that was Jesus Christ and him crucified and then started to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And Paul says no. That's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about reading it. It just, it tells you, it reads your mail. I mean, if you, if you want to grow up in the Lord, you need to read your Bible. And that sounded legalistic. I'm sorry, but it is true. So anyways, because there's jealousy and strife, 
they're proving that they're just acting merely human, merely immature, spiritual people. He says, you shouldn't do that. He says, verse five, what is Apollos? What is Paul? He, he says, I love how he says what is, not who is. He's not saying who is Apollos or who is Paul. But he says, what are they? What, what role do they have in your life? He says, they're just servants. That's all they are. They're the servants through whom you believed in the Lord. And we've been assigned to you. I planted, he says, Apollos comes along behind me and waters, but the growth comes from who? God. Paul's not responsible for the growth. Apollos isn't responsible for the growth. It is, in fact, God who's responsible for it. It's, it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Oh, hear that again. Any of the servants of God, they're nothing compared to who God is. He who plants and he who waters, they're one. They're unified. And there it is. There's unity there. There's unity in ministry. They're, they're all working towards the same goal, which is the harvest, but they're just doing different things. There's diversity in the mission, if you will, but there's unity in the cause. I love this. This is why Renaissance can exist as a separate church from all the other wonderful churches in the city. People always say, why do we have so many churches? Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just come together? No. <laughs> if you're asking me, the answer is no. And, and here's why. Because some of the music at other churches is not real good. <laughs> right? God does want music to be good at some places. And so we say yes to that. No, I'm just saying, there's so much different taste and so much everything. We can be unified in Christ, that's for sure, but we get to have diversity in how we do ministry. When Renaissance first started, we started 6 p.m. only. Did you know that? You're, you're in the overflow services. Our original service is 6 p.m. And most everyone that I talk to says, Jeff, that won't work. And I said, I know, I know, but this is what we feel like God is calling us to do. And guess what, it worked. Because God does love the diversity in what's happening. Paul plants, Apollos waters, everyone has a different role, again, striving towards the same thing. Here, here's a real word for some people here. Some people feel called to ministry, you're just struggling with this idea because it doesn't look like a church to you. I know God's calling me and blah, 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 but I don't know about a church and taking an offering and having a band and this and that. Let me just stop you right there. That's probably not what God's calling you to. He might have something altogether different, and yet for some reason you're trying to like squish it into a box that looks like a church or a church plant or something like that. Maybe not. I'm just saying God loves diversity. Whatever he's calling you towards, I would like swim in that for a while. I would bathe in it. I would ask people to pray for me in that. I would seek the Lord in that. And I would ask God, what do you want to do? And then let him lead you into that which he's leading you to. Again, the goal is the same, the harvest, that people would know who Jesus Christ is. And the ministry that we do to get people there doesn't matter to me. You want to give out hot dogs on the side, sidewalk? Uh, some, I mean, that's weird, I know, but <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> I will come. <laughs> I will receive that ministry. <laughs> he says, we're just servants. 
We're just working together. Verse nine, he says, we're just God's fellow workers, all coming together to serve what God has a desire. And then he says to the Corinthian church, you are God's field. And I asked you guys to think about that. You are God's field. You are God's building. Uh, Paul uses those two metaphors oftentimes in, in a lot of his writings. He uses the metaphor of agriculture or architecture or building or whatever. But let me pause here to say a couple things about this. Jesus, when he was one day speaking to his disciples, he, he started talking in parables. Parables are these like stories that have like a hidden meaning in them, and some people understood them, some people didn't. Crazy stories. And in one of his parables, he's talking about a man who goes out to sow seed. And this is a, a common sight for many of the people in their region. They, a guy would go out and he'd plant the field. He would just sow seed into the field. And in this parable, he says that there's some seed that the guy is sowing that lands on a path. And later birds come in and eat it up and it never produces any fruit. And there's other, there's other seed that lands in a field, but the field is so rocky that when the, the plant sprouts up, there's no root to the plant. So when the sun comes out, it withers and dies. And another part of the field has got a bunch of thorns and thistles and seed would land there. And when the, the, the plant would grow, the, the thorns and the thistles would choke out the plant and it would die. But this other type of seed would land like in fertile ground. A, a, a field that God had made ready for the seed. Now, hear me when I say this. When, when Paul is saying that you are God's field, I want you to picture that, that God intimately knows who you are. He knows the issues in your life. Many of you here have huge paths running through the field that is your life, that God knows if he throws seed on it, the birds of the air will come and snatch it away and it won't produce anything. So what is God going to do? God is going to remove that path from your life. There are many things in your life that God does not desire for you. There are big rocks in your life and my life that choke out the things of God, that do not allow the spirit things of God to take root in our lives. And God, because of his great care and love for us, he reveals those rocks to us so that we can remove them. <laughs> I struggle with faith some days. I don't mean like faith that Jesus is the son of God. That's not my thing. I think that's seated inside of me. But there are days when I feel God is calling me to do something that is uniquely different than what I'm used to. And it requires me to believe at a level that I haven't believed before. And my faith shakes. And I I delay in doing that which I think God is calling me to. Now that, that lack of faith I would call, to use this metaphor, is a huge rock in my field. God not only knows me, knows the rocks inside of my field, and wait for it, he has the implements necessary to remove those things. And so when he sees the lack of faith in my life, he just pushes me into places to exercise the faith. How many people here have prayed for patience before? How many, let me rephrase that. How many people have children and then have, <laughs> and then have prayed for patience? And, and after having prayed for patience, do you find yourself in a situation where your patience is being tested? Did you ever draw the connection between the two? This is the Lord showing you. Right? So God not only knows the field, he knows what's inside the field, and then he has implements to remove them. Oh, Jeff, you lack faith? Well, let's go try some faithful stuff. That's, that's the answer to all of this. And my response is just to yield and to say yes. 
lastly, the seed that God is sowing is so helpful to us, but we have to understand the limitations that we have as people. Like just, just fast forward a few months that we're gonna be planting little vegetable gardens, right? With onions and peppers and you know, salsa gardens, anybody do that? Anyone? I just need to know, write it down. <laughs> Say it with me now, pastor appreciation. <laughs> salsa. But like we'll cultivate our little flower bed or our little garden area and we'll throw out the stuff that we don't want. We'll fertilize, we'll do all the things that we can do and we'll plant seed, good seed, right? We'll do it right. But there's one thing we can't control. We can't control whether the sun comes out. We can't control whether it's going to rain or be cool or hot. We can't control any of those things. But someone can. It's God. So when he says you are God's field, hear what he's saying to you. He goes, he knows you intimately. He knows all the, the shortcomings in your life. He has a seed for you that is the cross of Jesus and him crucified. All of that stuff is made available to you and then he controls the elements that will produce growth in you. We just yield to it. Is this helpful? It was to me. You are God's field. You are God's building. He says, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, he says. He says, I have been a skilled master builder and I've laid a foundation. So this is not Paul being like braggardly here. He's just saying, God has graced me with the ability to do what no one else can do. I've laid a foundation in your life that, again, Jesus and him crucified, and I've done so because God has graced me to do it. He doesn't take credit for any of this. Now, when I read this, I began to wonder, does God give grace to all people? You're like, is this a trick question? No, he really does. He really does grace all of us. And as I talked earlier about some people feeling the call to do ministry, but it doesn't look like the other thing, he, he calls all of us uniquely differently. Paul's been graced to plant a foundation or put in a foundation. Other people have been graced to do other things. Joe and I were talking just between services. Um, this is a real thing for me. I desperately need to understand this. I have to know that God has graced me to do something specific for him. And I want to labor into that with everything that I have. And, and the reason this is important to me is because I'm learning I can't do all the things that I used to then do for God a long time ago. When I started this church, I did a lot of everything. I played guitar in the band, right? I wrote the sermons, I did the preaching, I, I cleaned the toilets, that's fun. I, did, I took out the trash. I did all the stuff, and over time I began to realize there are some things that only I can do. So I quit the band. Because I, I feel like I'm called to preach. I, I, want, I don't want to sound braggardly, hear me. This is what I'm trying to understand from Paul's language. I've been, he says, I've been graced by God to be a skillful builder for your life. This is what I need to understand. What does God want me to do only? And then I have to leave everything else for other people to do. This is the hardest thing that I've ever had to experience in all my life. I, I know how to work hard. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know how to succeed in things. And God is saying, Jeff, stop. If you continue this way, you'll kill yourself. You'll get another report from the doctor that something else is broken. 
You'll get another sleepless night if you continue this way. So I'm standing on this place wanting to truly say, I've been graced by God to do something. And I just want to teach. I just want to teach. I want people to fall in love with Jesus Christ. And I want God to use my words to make sense of this stuff some days. <laughs> Is this making any sense right now? Yes. I hope. And I'll let others do the other work. We'll let Joe do the other stuff. Or... <laughs> Where was I? Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me. I want you to think about that in your mind. What if God is saying that about you? According to the grace of God given to you. According to the grace of God given to you. According to the grace of God given to you. Do that thing that God is calling you to. He goes into this idea that you can build upon the foundation that Paul has laid in your life, Jesus Christ, and you can do many things to it. You can begin to grow and mature. But many of the things that people build on top of that foundation are, in fact, not helpful. No one else can lay another foundation. Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation that Paul has laid. You can build on it with gold or silver or precious stones. You can build on it with wood, hay, or straw. But he says, whatever you choose to build on the foundation, it will get tested one day. And this is what I love about the Lord. He doesn't just call us to say that we believe in him, to say that we follow him. He actually tests it. Not for his sake, but for our sake. He proves it in our life. So all the things that we're building, a day will come when God will test everything and we'll know for sure if the things that we were building were in fact beneficial, spiritual, kingdom stuff. Or was it just our own desires and pursuits? Now I could go on and on about this day of testing that will come. Know this, that it sounds like it's a day of fire. I don't know what that looks like. This fire will refine and test everything. There will be some things that will be burnt up and removed and other things will remain. It's almost as if Paul is saying the first three things, gold, silver, precious stones will remain, but the wood, hay, and straw will disappear. I just, I love you. I love you. I'm desperate that you find out from the Lord what are the things he wants to build on your life and, and stop building with wood and hay and straw. Those things will never last for you. I, I, I wish I had time to talk about that more. Maybe the question is, Jeff, how do I know what's wood, hay, and straw? Very good questions. Next week. I, have, I don't know. But it says, if your work, verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, if it survives this day of fire, of testing, then you'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he's gonna suffer the loss of all that he has done, though he or she himself, herself, will, not, will be saved, though as through fire. This is not a salvation issue. I want you to hear that. This, is, this day that comes is not a judgment of salvation. It's, a, it's just a, a day of judging our works. That we've been called to be Christians and we can live our life working for him and building great big things for him or for ourselves. And at the end of the day, all of the stuff that's built for ourselves is gonna fade away. And you'll suffer the loss of that. 
He says, do you not know, verse 16, that you, and hear me, you is plural here. It's not a singular thing. He's not saying that you, like personally, are God's temple. But he's saying the church in Corinth is God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. He says God's spirit dwells amidst the Christians in Corinth. This morning I was praying with a couple friends of mine and I asked them this question. I said, if the Spirit of God dwells in Corinth, where the believers are, then can we safely say that the Spirit of God dwells here at Renaissance? I believe that. Yes, absolutely. There's, that's not even a trick. Yes, 100%. That this place would be the temple of God and God would place his Spirit here. Then the question becomes this. And if that's true, then what can we expect at a service at Renaissance? If God's Spirit is here, what things should we expect from the Spirit here? And we were going around the room saying things like, I think it should look like this. I think God's spirit could do this. Can I just share a couple things with you that I believe should happen at all times when the spirit of God is dwelling here at Renaissance? Number one, I think people should become Christians all the time. Just last week, a guy pulled up to me after the six o'clock service, gave me a big old hug, thought that was strange. And I said, <laughs> he says, Jeff, you don't know this, but I became a Christian in your church a year and a half ago. I was sitting in the third row. You were preaching a message and I gave my heart to Jesus. And I went, now the hug makes sense to me. Now it makes sense. Start with that before the hug, just throwing it out there. So anyway, <laughs> lead with that. <laughs> Otherwise you could get a shin kick. Anyway, um, I believe that people will become Christians where the Spirit of God is. I believe that, that people will be healed where Jesus' Spirit is. And hear me, this is not some profound spiritual healing service that we all gather together and sing songs about healing. I'm just saying, if God's Spirit is here, people will be healed. And you probably won't even know it's taking place, much like the crowds around Jesus when the woman reached out to touch the hem of his garment. Jesus was the only one who was like, what happened? And this woman with the issue of blood was healed immediately. No one else knew that was taking place. If God's spirit is here, I believe people will be healed. Who wants to raise their hand and admit they could use a healing right now? No, I mean like a real, like God, the doctor has told you not good news. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That there would be a spiritual healing taking place. There'd be physical healing taking place in this room. You are the, the temple of God. He says, the, my spirit dwells here. I could go on and on with a bunch of other things that I believe the spirit would do while we're here. I don't have time. I'm, I'm over. So I'll just stop here. Here's what I desire. I desire unity in the things of God, that we would believe that God is leading us in a unified direction. There'd be diversity in what that might look like, right? But that God would take every one of us from a state of infancy and immaturity into a place of maturity, that we would grow up, that people would not have to look at us like they looked at the Corinth and go back and say, man, those people are Christians. I don't believe it. Because that's what they were saying about them. If they're Christians, they sure don't show it. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for me. I want people to catch the, the, <laughs> the sweet aroma that is Jesus Christ in my life when I walk by them. I want people to know. Is that okay? I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for this church. 
thank you for coming. I pray God's spirit was helpful to you. We're gonna go back into a time of singing and declaring the goodness of Jesus. I encourage those of you here who are followers of Jesus to sing, to, to thank God for what he's doing, to confess maybe some of your own shortcomings. My favorite time of worship is not even the singing sometimes. It's, it's that I get a chance to wail before God and everyone and no one can hear me. God, I'm sorry. God, I chose incorrectly. God, help grow me. These are constant prayers um, out of my lips when I'm in worship in the church. I pray these things for you. Okay. Can we pray together? We'll close with this. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for the word given to us by Paul to the Corinthian church, but it seems so appropriate to, to listen to it as well in our own lives here. God, thank you for this church called Renaissance. Thank you that your spirit would call this place his temple, that he would be amongst us and in us and through us, weaving through the rows of these chairs, even as I speak, touching every person that he calls dear. Holy Spirit, come in power, come in truth. God, I pray that the clouds that have been covering people's eyes would be lifted today and they would see Jesus in truth today. That he does love them. That there is in fact nothing that they could do that would cause him to love them any less. God, I pray for that truth to be here today. God, I thank you for everything you do. I thank you that because of Jesus, we can stand before you boldly and ask for things. So we have prayed for healing already, Lord, and we just thank you that we can boldly say that. We don't have to beg for it, that you've freely given it to us. And so we just declare it, that people be healed in Jesus' name. We thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray that you are now worshiped and that the the noise that leaves the, uh, this building would be noise to you, God, that you would hear it and receive it for what it is, that it is worship towards you, that our, our words would declare the goodness of who you are, that our confessions in our life would, would declare that we are going to follow you from this point forward. We thank you, God, for everything that you are doing. We pray that you be with us as we go back into a time of singing and confessing. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.